Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Diego Oppenheimer. Diego is founder and CEO of Algorithmia. Diego, welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. Thank you for having me, Sam. Hey, it is always great to catch up and chat with you. Uh, so welcome once again. We're going to spend a few minutes talking about your recent participation in the TwimbleCon conference and talk through some of the ideas you shared from your recent survey on the state of the AI market. But before we do that, I'd love to have you share a little bit about your background with our audience. Sure, absolutely. So name is Diego Oppenheimer. I'm the CEO and founder of Algorithmia. I've been in the data analytics, uh, advanced analytics space for pretty much my entire career. So over 15 years at this point, did my undergrad and grad school at Carnegie Mellon in advanced analytics, and then uh, worked at Microsoft for uh, quite a bit, building tools like Power BI and SQL Server and Excel. So uh, data is my life. And then uh, (laughs) as of uh, the last couple of years, I've been running a company called Algorithmia, and really what we focus on is how do you get value out of machine learning by putting models in production? So, you know, a lot of times we talk about what's needed in the last mile. How do I deploy? How do I serve? How do I manage, uh, you know, machine learning models in production? And really, why does that matter? Because this technology is amazing. It can really affect businesses, uh, you know, up and down. And then, but, you know, you can only get the ROI if you actually have it in production. And so, um, closing that gap between research and development and actually being able to have the business run off of, uh, you know, advanced analytics and machine learning is kind of a, our core mission. We call it, you know, MIP, models in production. That's all the thing that matters. Nice, nice. And now Diego and I uh, go back a ways. We've known each other since the early days of Algorithmia, and we spent some time during the TwimmelCon uh, conversation reminiscing the company's come a long way since those, you know, that first time you kind of pitched me on the idea in, I think, one of the grand halls in the Sands uh, Conference Center in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that this podcast that was, was maybe one of the first uh, times that you were recording this podcast to a certain degree or one of the early days. It was of the early. Podcast. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. The industry's come a long way, right? I mean, I think we yeah. this like Cambrian explosion of what's happening in, in this space, and it's so exciting. You know, I always say, you know, I fully believe this is the greatest piece of technology or advancement in technology that we're going to see in our lifetime. It goes all the way from the digital to the physical world, and it's kind of happening in front of our eyes. Uh, and how organizations are using, uh, you know, machine learning how they're adapting it, how it's changing, how we do behaviors, how we build software, like, and, and, you know, being part of that in terms of, you know, for both of us, right? Like what you're doing, what I'm doing, like, and, you know, being in the middle of it, it's been an amazing, exciting journey. And, and it only feels like it's accelerating more and more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us about the survey. This was the focus of your presentation at the conference. And how long have you been doing it now? Yeah, so this is the third year that we do the the, the survey. So we um, it's done by a third party. So I, I like to clarify that you know, like we set it up, but uh, you know, we do actually have a third party do it to really you know keep that separation. And um, you know, what we we go out to leaders in the space, 
usually in organizations that are $100 million in revenue or above. So really focused on enterprise. And what we ask them is kind of, you know, what are you doing with machine learning? How many models you have in production? What are you applying the use cases to? What are some of your challenges that are facing that could either be at the governance space and the data space, you know, kind of like across that and, uh, and just get a good lay of the land, you know, um, you know, how much you're investing, how many data scientists have you hired in the last year? And it goes up and down the management chain. So we interview everybody, you know, all the way from CXOs down to kind of like individual managers and contributors there to get a good idea of what their perception is inside the enterprise of what's going on. And, uh, and it's been quite amazing to see the difference year over year, you know, especially this last year where it could have gone either way, you know, with the pandemic and yeah. kind of like how things were going. Like we were really kind of not hundred percent sure which, which direction it was. And like, we kind of had an intuition that it was actually going to be a doubling down in the space from an investment, from a hiring, from a tooling uh, perspective, mostly because, you know, automation and machine learning uh, helps optimize yeah. and optimizations are exactly what businesses needed, right? Like they were, they were looking in some cases to tighten the belt in some cases to, you know, really assure that they had like lockstep with organizations, like everybody went digital overnight, you know? And so like all these factors, so that we had an intuition that it was going to go that way. And it was kind of quite stark that it was like, not only that, but like probably one of the only places where budgets increased inside an organization where hiring continued at a increasing clip, uh, you know, not even flat, like increasing clip of hiring, new use cases being brought in to the organization, everything from customer experience to fraud and security to automation of back office, like all these use cases that we had already started seeing as things that were going into production across organizations accelerated. And so um, definitely, a, a, you know, a little bit of a cognitive dissonance with what was happening in the rest of the world, but uh, quite amazing to see. Yeah. Question for you in terms of use cases, do you differentiate in the survey at the high level between uh, value creation use cases versus cost saving use cases? And I'm wondering if you have a feel either from your experience with the business or the survey you know, how that has shifted over time. Yeah. So, so, so I still think the cost saving use cases tend to be the, the front runner. You know, there's a lot of automation that can happen. There's a lot of, you know, the optimizations that can happen around efficiency and businesses and where machine learning is just very good at. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I would argue that there's still, it showed up in the survey, but also anecdotally from like I see in our customer base and where they are, there's a lot of, you know, I would say in the cost savings is really where the chunk of use cases that are actually in production, everything's being explored, but like really the ones that are being, uh, you know, in production tend to be towards the cost savings. There is more and more on the kind of like net new revenue generation uh, use case. And then there's ones where like, maybe we can have a little bit of a debate on it, which is, you know, like, if I think about better customer experience, you know, is that cost savings or is that, cost, you know, revenue generation? It could be yeah. either, right? Because you can have upsell, you can have recommendations, you can have like, you know, ability to grow accounts, but also you're increasing loyalty, you're reducing churn and, you know, churn's a cost center because, you know, you have to go reacquire that customer base. And so it's, it's you have some of these like customer experience use cases that tend to be, depending on who you ask, which way it could look and it can go both ways. But 
I'd say the bulk of stuff is really on more efficient ways of doing things at scale, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, tend to be, you know, bottom line fixers. Yeah. 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 It's, it, it, it's a really interesting point. And I think it probably depends a lot on the size of the company. Many, you know, small companies are, you know, they're, sole purpose of being is to transform an industry using, you know, this technology plus domain expertise from the the old world or the previous way of doing things. Whereas it's a lot more difficult for larger organizations to get there. Those projects take longer and, you know, they often start with kind of low hanging fruit, these costs reduction exercises. But at some point, the larger companies you know, either through acquisitions or through, you know, these portfolio moonshot projects, try to get there in terms of changing the overall landscape of their their industries. I think there's a there's an approach perspective too, you know, especially in the larger organizations. Like you, you made a great point, right? Like things can get lost. It's hard to get things like I highly encourage, uh, you know, organiza- larger organizations, especially teams um, that, you know, there's a lot they can do with machine learning. And so I highly encourage to find the quick win. And mm-hmm. the reason for finding the quick win, right, is because you can showcase it as a success and you can use that as the jumping off point for further investment, building it out, buying in, you know, so one of the things that showed up in the survey is that one of the bigger problems that machine learning and enterprise faces is organizational alignment. You know, there's a, uh, a pieces, you know, this ML has had this for a couple of years where like sometimes the, the promise and the expectations have not been met or the idea of what the promise of the technology was like was beyond what the technology was at the time. And so one of the things that I encourage leaders is really, hey, there's a lot of quick wins. There's a lot, a lot of quick wins. And like the quick wins also allow you to go through the whole process. Acquiring, you know, like, you know, thinking about how do I get, am I going to get into production? How am I going to integrate with systems? How I work backwards into what do I need? What are the people I need? Kind of like the full process that you need to go through of end to end, how we're going to go apply this technology to a specific use case. And then you get the win and then you can showcase that win Right. to executives and to other business units. And you can show, hey, look what we did here. This is worth investing. And then you get that explosion of like, wow, look at what they did there. I want to apply it to my business. You know, I want to do it here, here. And then now suddenly you have all these data scientists that are getting called from every part of the business being like, you know, come solve my problem. And we saw this really similar, uh, you know, about a decade ago, I saw this in the BI world where as soon as like really successful kind of like data education and people being able to interpret what was going on, like everybody wanted that. And you started seeing the development of these centers of excellence around analytics. You start seeing around a lot of these, like everybody wanted to apply this like kind of like data savviness to their business. And we're starting to see that like yeah. with now, but it's important to start with, with the small wins and build from there. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. We see the same I think it's a, a common pattern for emerging technologies, this kind of knocking down the bowling pins thing where you start with a you know a quick win use case and then you go to two and and you advance from there. As orgs mature, one of the things that I tend to see is this from a, a leadership perspective, the 
portfolio management becomes increasingly important and tricky part of the job where you want to manage your quick wins, but also have these home runs or moonshots, depending on your org, you, you call them different things that you know sells the vision of what's possible overall. Yeah. I think we're going through that. That's why it's exciting. Like, and I think right now it's, it's almost like, you know, I, I kind of laugh, like, you know, people ask me where we're at and I, I keep on saying like, we're only in the first inning, <laughs> like, like, like over and over again. Yeah. But, but I think the, the really interesting thing to me is that like, I think most of machine learning and data science across the board has been slightly artisanal, you know, up until now, the systems, the platforms, like, you know, there's a lot of stitching things together, building it, you know, building it yourself, which is not wrong for the time. Again, you want to get that quick win. So like, you know, it makes all the sense in the world. Right. And in my opinion, you know, data science is very artisanal. It's about experimentation and kind of like, you know, you know, exploring and, and stuff like that. What we're moving more towards, in my opinion, is kind of like that first stage of exactly what you said, industrialization. How do we going to be repeatability? How are we going to do this across the organization? How are we going to look at the entire portfolio of, you know, models and, you know, assess them for risk, assess them for, you know, governance, where we're using these things, how we're affecting, what's our ROI yeah. uh, of all these efforts. So we're kind of, you know, one of the things that also showed up in the, in the survey is like the people involved inside an organization are now, you know, not just the data science team and the analytics teams, but now you're getting people in the CIO, like, or the CDO's office, but now you're getting people in the CIO's office people who are responsible for industrializing services inside an organization, the DevOps crew, the IT crew, the security crew, because now it needs to be done repeatable, fast, and in a secure way. And so you start seeing this kind of like, which I, it's great, right? I mean, like think about every company builds software now, essentially, right? And like, why did that happen? Well, software building got industrialized inside organizations. And so that's where we're going. And that started. And that's, I think, a really inspiring part because we're starting to see more and more organizations take that industrial approach saying, hey, we got the pockets of success and now we're going to go think about it globally or kind of like company wide way where we're, we're going to build a repeatable, secure, scalable process for building in machine learning and data science into any aspect of the business we want to. Now, from your perspective as a vendor, does that slow things down for you? You know, historically, often from the vendor perspective, you hear companies wanting to, you know, sell to the business, the line of business, because once IT gets involved, things grind to a halt. You've got the architect wanting to set their standards and you've got the governance folks. And, you know, true success in this industry is only going to happen if we bring all those people in. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I, I'm fully... In belief that you know, in five years from now, we're not going to really, you know, be differentiating between machine learning and software. Not because they're not different, but just because ML is going to be built into pretty much every piece of software that an organization builds. And so, this needs to happen. And yes, is there a more? Does it slow down the process in terms of is there more pause? Well, it's a pause to accelerate. Right. It's thinking, how do we, you know, it's like, okay, we can't do these one-offs that the technical debt piles up the, you know, it's impossible to control. It's impossible to speed up. Like, you know, yes, we might be faster today, but we'll definitely be slower tomorrow. You know, and again, you know, I'm biased because what we build in our software is literally for industrializing your kind of like deployment running and lifecycle management of it. So, you know, bear that in mind. 
But I actually think it's really important to bring in the kind of like CIO's office in down and the DevOps crowd into this because they will, I mean, they care about scale, speed, security. And if you solve for those in a automated way, now you can let loose on the data science and machine learning crowd to actually really get that rapid experimentation, get into production, see the effects of in the business, turn around, go, you know, like you, 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 you unblock. So yeah, it's a little, uh, you know, it's like a, a spring back to, you know, to sprint forward type situation uh, a little bit, you know, but like well worth it. Yeah. Did the survey, you, you mentioned technical debt just now. Are there aspects of that that came out in the survey? Yeah. So I think the, the biggest concerns, you know, that yeah, it's actually one of the second biggest concerns that came out. So the first one was, IT security governance auditability of these systems. You know, the one-offs all over the place. How do we know what's going on? What our risk exposure is? How do we secure them? Like that was the number one concern and blocker of more workloads getting through. The number two was the explosion of tooling. And, you know, and that's a good thing in my opinion, like good, a lot of new tools, but harder and harder to kind of like manage the one-off. So every one-off, now needs to be maintained and you need to have the people to maintain that. And you have to, you know, there's tribal knowledge in those systems. And so that was the second biggest concern that showed up in the survey, which is we're not even realizing what the maintenance of these systems are over time and the cost of that is. Because I don't think I've ever argued and I will never argue with a platform architect or a software engineer like can you go build this for yourself? Absolutely. <laughs> like it's software. I mean, anything can be done. Yeah. The question is why, right? And and what are you sacrificing, right? Because every day that you're kind of going and building out either the same system over and over again, which is problematic anyway, or, you know, kind of one-off things, the maintenance over the, you know, over the years, uh, the, the advance, how the tools are advancing. So like, you know, the new frameworks, how do you build that in? How do you advance? Like all of that is, you know, you have to go in, you know, in that build versus buy conversation around kind of ML platforms and be like, we're committed to maintaining this over the next three to five years with the tooling changes that are going to happen. We're going to fund this. We're going to put people on it. We're going to be able to maintain it. Like this is an effort. And I think most organizations only look at it as, oh, we can do A, B, and C and just deploy a model and look at that and we're done. And that's the cost that we're going to have. And the cost on the other side of that is, I mean, is way higher. Yeah, yeah. One of the recurring conversations from TwimmelCon was this idea of prescriptiveness versus flexibility in terms of the tool chain, particularly from the perspective of the folks that are building and deploying platforms for customers in data science and ML engineering. And there's this real tension between being very prescriptive and having a limited set of tools and, you know, managing costs and expertise in that way versus, you know, making it very open and having to figure out how to support all of that, but giving folks choice. Uh, and it ties very much into company culture and engineering team culture, things like that. Did that come up in the survey at all? Yeah. So I think people, you know, again, you need some, you know, depending on where you are in the, the process, right? So I think at the training models, building models, experimentation, you know, framework usage, like 
you need flexibility, right? You want to use the best tool possible for that. And sometimes the best tool for one use case is not the best tool for the other use case. And you want to have that flexibility. It's kind of built into the nature of kind of like data science, that exploratory kind of like, you know, you know, build out. The places where you really want standardization and be more prescriptive are the things where the value of those things are from being prescriptive, right? Like, hey, if I want to do governance, I need a standard. Like, I need to make sure all the data looks the same. I can see in the same place. If I'm going to do security, I need it to be standardized. If I'm going to do kind of like deployment pipelines and I want to do like, I want a standard. there. So decoupling those things, in my opinion, is really important because you know, it gives you the flexibility. And obviously I have a bias towards that, but like, you know, like I got come up, but like, you know, like you want that flexibility on the exploration side, on the tuning side, on the building of the models, because you want to be able to use the best tool. And then when it comes to the actually industrialization component, that's where you want standards. You want to make sure that you can feed into your compliance frameworks. You want to be able to make sure that you can feed into your IT systems. You want to make sure that you can feed into your different, uh, you know, kind of like security components. That's where you don't want, like, you know, it's really hard to do flexibility, almost impossible. And we've seen this in software development. Like, if you think about how traditional organizations, you know, you can build in any IDE, you can use kind of any app, but then when it comes to how we do security, how we do monitoring, how we do, like, that's where they start standardizing across the entire software stack, because that's where you need that repeatability and industrialization. So I think we're going to see a lot of that, you know, moving forward. And those companies really advance uh, a lot faster. That's where the kind of that flexibility and kind of canonical stack of, you know, of components really comes to play. Nice. Any other uh, kind of headline insights from the survey from your perspective or, or maybe what were your top three if we haven't already covered them? Yeah. So I think, you know, the, 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 the big trends were really, you know, people are, you know, they're hiring, we're hiring way more data scientists and way more models are going into production. Yet we're not actually bringing down the time it takes to get to production. Like that was a clear thing. So like the time it's actually getting to take, especially in is still continues to be really large and some cases increasing. Again, complexity, standards, stuff like that. So we're seeing that we're investing a lot more. We got a lot more use cases going yet. It's taking us longer and longer to actually be able to, you know, deploy models and get actually into production. I think the, the big concerns around IT, auditability, security, governance, and it's not just IT, the whole process, right? Security, governance, is really top of mind inside, you know, kind of like these industrial partners and the flexibility of the tooling and the complexity of the amount of tooling is feeding into both of those concerns, like from that. So that's kind of like the, the, the gist of the, the, that what came out of the survey. Nice. Nice. I'm curious, you mentioned from the perspective of the survey, 2020 and COVID did not slow down the industry as a whole. From at the macro, the rather the micro level in terms of your experience, you know, how did it impact your company? Yeah, so we saw kind of the same success built on success. So a lot of expansion, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of customers were actually seeing success in their machine learning workloads, doubling down and bringing in even more, uh, you know, workloads into the platforms, trying to do more. That was the main trend. And then I think what we originally saw, but then kind of that petered away was, you know, anybody who was not started or kind of exploring projects took a little bit of a pause in the beginning, yeah. but then realized that this is an existential threat to not do, you know, like your competitors 
will be applying machine learning to optimize their processes and their company. And if you don't do this, like you are going to be at such a disadvantage um, that it's an existential threat. So I think there was a little bit of a pause early on on net new projects, like net new companies approaching it, not net new projects, but the companies that were already building out ML, they were, you know, they even almost like they, they doubled down. Yeah. At some point early on, it became very clear that you could not just wait this out for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the smarter companies realized it quicker than some of the others. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, Diego, as always, wonderful to catch up with you. Thanks so much for joining me. And thanks again for your support for TwimbleCon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.